welcome to the Meditation Conversation. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin, and today I'm joined by Coot Blackson. Coot is a best-selling author, inspirational speaker, and transformational teacher. He speaks at countless events and is the winner of the 2019 Unity New Thought Walden Award. He's widely considered a next-generational leader in the field of personal development, and we talk a lot about his unique background and how he um, had to come away from what was his legacy, the legacy that his father had for him and breaking off on his own, coming to America and following his own path. We talk a lot about conditioning, um, remembering who we really are, um, cultural conditioning. This is a really full uh, conversation. It's full of some great gems. So I hope you get a lot out of this episode. In the show notes, you can get the link to all of the sponsors of the Meditation Conversation. I would so appreciate if you went there and you supported them. You support the show when you support them. And you can also go to karagoodwin.com and check out the Meditation Immersion 21-Day Course and the Healing Hearth Membership for ongoing coaching and support. If you want to go deeper into your meditation practice or you're looking for community, these are amazing resources, and I would be so happy to connect with you in that way. So here we go. Please enjoy this episode. So welcome, Coot. It's such a joy to have you here today. Thanks for having me. So can you just <clears throat> tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today? Uh, wow, that could be uh, about four podcast episodes, but <laughs> I'll, do, sure. I'll do my best to cram it into a few minutes and give a, <clears throat> a bit of an overview. Uh, let's see. Look, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. Uh, I grew up in London, uh, live in the US now. So I feel like I'm a citizen of the world from everywhere and nowhere all at the same time. Um, from a very young age, I, I was a very empathetic kid. So I always felt people very deeply. I felt people suffering very deeply. And there was a part of me that wanted to alleviate that suffering in some way. I just didn't know what that would look like. And so as a young boy, um, this was a drive inside of me. And so I became very obsessed about just trying to understand life and understand the nature of reality and who are we and where we're from and what's the nature of life. And so um, my upbringing was a bit unusual from the standpoint of my first memories as a young boy was seeing uh, a crippled woman crawling on the floor and she picks up the sand that this man walks on and wipes it on her face and stands up. And so week after week, I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear and people standing up out of wheelchairs. The same man whose sand she picked up uh, will look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? Stand up. You're not sick. Uh, who would put, he would uh, touch the eyes of a person who hadn't seen in five years and sight was restored. So this man was my father. He was oh, wow. considered, uh, uh, you could say, a miracle man of Africa. Uh, he built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, had a huge church in London. So I grew up with this sense that everything was possible. Anything was possible. All possibilities were available. And for me, I think one of the blessings was it didn't seem that unusual. It's all I knew. I thought this was everyone's reality until I found out, went to school, shared about my experiences and found out. Maybe this wasn't everyone's experience. And so when I was age eight, 
I began speaking in my father's churches. When I was 14, I was ordained as a minister, and I was given the mandate to take over my father's spiritual organization. Uh, but I knew that this wasn't really my path. This wasn't my destiny. But, you know, I think like many of us, um, I let fear hijack me and um, I went along with it. And my entire life was basically scripted out. My entire life was basically planned out for me by my father, by the community, by by those around me. And uh, my fear was if I spoke my truth, then I would lose the relationship with my father, I'd be alone, I'd be outcast. And so for four years, I was ordained. I went, I, I went down a spe specific path, but there was a tremendous amount of internal conflict. There was a tre tre tremendous amount of questioning inside. And so when I turned 18, I looked into my future and I realized I had certain decisions to make. I had certain choices to make. And that's when life shifted in a very uh, profound way. Um, I felt this calling to come to America. I felt a calling to come to the U.S. I felt a calling to come to California, specifically Southern California, because um, as a young boy, I would sneak into my father's office and on his bookshelf were literally thousands of self-help spiritual uh, books from Eastern mystics, Western mystics, Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay, Deepak Chopra. And so I really began devouring these books. And most of the authors I read about lived in Southern California. And so I felt this calling in my soul to to come to, to Los Angeles specifically and find these people and meet these people and go into this field. And the calling was so strong. You know, I think sometimes when your soul calls you, when your soul pulls you, when your soul guides you, it doesn't always make sense to your mind. It doesn't always make sense to your logic. It's not always convenient or comfortable. Um, but I really believe that if you follow the calling of your soul, that pure intention of your soul, you'll always be guided in the right place at the right time with the right people, even though the route that you take may not be the one that you most expect. And so I decided to, to leave everything behind and uh, had a conversation with my father. As I looked into my future, I saw I could take the expected path and <clears throat> be successful by everybody's standards and fulfill my father's wish, everyone's wishes. But if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my truth, if I didn't have my integrity, if I didn't have my soul, then what kind of success is that? And I felt the pain of, as I projected into my future, age 20, age 30, age 40, age 50, age 60, I felt the pain of, of self-betrayal. And that if I began to lie to myself now, at that moment, I'd have to basically live this life for the rest of my life. And I think the pain was so intense. So I had that conversation, which was a, you know, as an 18 year old kid, a terrifying conversation to dare to speak my truth. And uh, I did it. My father and I, we didn't speak for about two years. Very challenging, very difficult. But I knew that I knew that I was on the right path. I knew that something bigger than myself was pulling me and calling me to a different destiny. And so long story short, I ended up winning a green card in the green card lottery, uh, where the American government gives away 55,000 green cards in the green card lottery. And that was, for me, uh, a confirmation from the universe that I was on the right track. And Yeah, because there up, aren't a lot of people who get that. Lot, no. Mm -hmm. And I ended up coming to the U.S. with two suitcases, $800 in my pocket, maybe $1,000 in my pocket, something like that. And just showed up in LA and went and found many of the teachers, the mentors, the authors I'd read about as a kid, studied with some of them, harassed some of them, 
you know, uh, went to some of the seminars and, and a few years later, there was another pivotal moment when I traveled to Israel, uh, studied with a few rabbis. I walked the Camino in, in northern Spain, 900 kilometers, which was life-changing. Then I ended up in India. And it was my time in India that really like, like broke me open to a whole new dimension of life and understanding my purpose and reality. And so that's when I came back about 20 years ago and uh, started working with people one-on-one, -on -one. had no idea what I was doing. Uh, I just wanted to help. I wanted to serve people. I felt so free with, with nothing that uh, people started coming up to me and said, what's your deal? You know, how, how do you, how do you seem so happy? And so I just began working with people and I kind of created a way, a methodology back then of working with people. I called it uncoaching uh, before coaching was popular. And one person came, another person came, another person came. And before you knew it, my way of working with people evolved. I had people coming from around the world and it grew into small groups and larger groups and larger groups. And then, you know, 20 years later, two books and here we are. That's amazing. Thank you for taking us through that. It's so inspiring. Um, tell us about uncoaching. Is this part of like unconditioning and trying to kind of undo a lot of the learnings that people have are carrying with them? Yeah, I, th I think that, you know, at the core, at the depth of our being, I think we are all whole, perfect and complete. We are all just pure consciousness, you know, and we are whole, perfect, and complete. But I think as human beings, through the process of life, we tend to forget the, our true nature, the true reality of what we essentially are and have always been. And so I think as children, we're in touch with this nature. We're in touch with our beingness. We're in touch with our true essence. You know, we are free as children when we're born we will jump on the table and sing. And we don't care if we don't sound like uh, Adele or Celine Dion. We'll run naked. We don't care what we look like. We don't have this sense of self-consciousness and all of these fears and insecurities. We're just fully self-expressed. And so what the hell happens to us? You know, we at one moment, I think that's why when we look into a child's eyes, we are we all melt because we're reminded of what we were, we're reminded of what we essentially still are deep inside, even though we may have lost touch with that purity, that pure essence. And so I think as children, we incarnate into this human experience and we meet our parents and, you know, bless them. They're doing the best that they can do based on their parents and their childhood and their upbringing and their, you know, grandparents. And, and so we're born into a, let's say, a preset pattern of conditioning and generational belief systems, generational paradigms and ideologies. And so now we're born into a preset framework of conditioning. Uh, maybe dad was an alcoholic. Maybe mom was had mental health issues. Maybe they were fighting all the time. Maybe there was a lot of emotional instability. Maybe they were just great people, but they, they didn't know how to necessarily meet our emotional needs in some way. And so I think the conditioning process begins often unconsciously from a very young age, where firstly, we learn all sorts of strategies to shut down, disconnect and not feel. 
you know, maybe there's divorce or there's abandonment, there's abuse, there's trauma, there's hurt. And so we start learning strategies, mechanisms to shut down, disconnect and not feel the pain of what is going on around us because it's too painful. We're too sensitive. And so we start erecting all sorts of, shall we say, walls around our sensitivity, around our heart so that we don't feel the loss. We don't feel the sense of helplessness. We don't feel the intensity. We don't feel the pain. And we start disconnecting from our feeling sense. And, and we start sort of suppressing these feelings, suppressing these feelings. And before you know it, decades of, of layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of unfelt feeling, unfelt emotion, unfelt um, unprocessed feeling begin to layer up. And, and our true, I don't know, light, our true expression, our truth, the true sense of what we really are, who we really are, gets, you know, slowly buried underneath all of the the, the decades or the decade, the years of unprocessed feeling and emotion that we've learned to suppress in order to survive. And then I think as children, we learn all sorts of strategies uh, to the, the sense of who do I need to be in order to get love and validation and approval. So we learn all sorts of strategies to to contort ourselves into a certain shape to become who we think we need to be in order to get love, validation, approval, to fit in. Um, you know, for me as a young boy, growing up with a healer as a father, with a uh, preacher as a father who had 300 churches, I thought I needed to be the the perfect son, you know, the the good one, the one that was caretaking everyone, could never be angry, could never be mad, could never show emotion, could never be human, had to be like perfect all the time. And so I think we start developing all sorts of roles and masks and personas, which then end up becoming a, an identity. And we contort ourselves into the certain shape to become who we think we need to be in order to get this love, validation, approval. And we hold so tightly to this way of being that eventually it becomes who we think we are. And our true expression, our true light, our true power, our true authenticity gets hidden underneath the, the layers and the prison of our conditioning. The challenge is, I think, often we don't know that we're conditioned. We just think that how we're being and how we're expressing and who we are is who we are. And we never really question. And so we often hear many of us say, like, no, this is just who I am. I'm just shy. I'm just independent. I'm just this way. But I think, is who we are who we really are? Or is it just who we've been conditioned to be? And, and so in so many ways, the degree to which we are conditioned, and especially not aware of our conditioning, is the degree to which we're not free. We're not free to choose. We're not free to truly be fully present. We're not free to truly express our voice. We're not free to truly share our gifts with the world. And so... For me, many years ago, as I started working with people, and and honestly, it was before coaching was popular. I just as I started working with people, I kind of stumbled into a way of working with people. You could say that that I started realizing, ah, it's not that I have to fix people, and and motivation is not enough. You know, inspiration is not enough because some information is not enough because many times we know what to do. And we know what not to do. And we know that we shouldn't do certain things. And we know certain people aren't good for us in relationship. But often, because of our conditioning, which is often unconscious, we we can't stop ourselves. And so uh, for me, it became more about 
unconditioning people and helping people become more aware and conscious of their patterns, more aware and conscious of what they're not conscious of and helping people heal some of those patterns. And, and that, that became my my kind of coaching process, a signature way of working with people in a coaching process. So that that's the nutshell. That's beautiful. So um, really, it's helping people to remember who they are. Yeah. Um, do you have tips on, or any low hanging fruit on how <laughs> people can um, can begin to remember who they are? Yeah, I, I, again, I don't think it's a, formu- a formula because mm-hmm. I think every human being is different. And um, and I don't think there's like a step-by-step, like do this, do this, do this, right. boom, there you are. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like um, we have to at least start acknowledging that we're conditioned. Just to even begin acknowledging yeah. and observing and becoming aware of our patterns of conditioning, becoming aware of how we respond, becoming aware of what activates us, what aggravates us, what tends to uh, repeatedly trigger us and disturb our peace, and where we tend to get reactive or where we tend to get off balance. I think those, those places start showing us where there might be some unresolved you know, stuff we can start looking at the dynamics in our life, the relationship, for instance, dynamics in our life that we keep, that keep reoccurring, where we keep attracting the same type of situation over and over and over and again. Those can also point to where where there might be certain incompletions within ourselves. So I think awareness is key because if we're not aware, we can't shift anything. So start, start, just begin to become aware. That's a foundation. I think then we have to also be willing I'll share two more things. I think we also have to be willing to begin creating the space within ourselves and the space within our lives to acknowledge, and which takes a tremendous amount of courage to acknowledge and feel some of the feelings that we have so skillfully learned to suppress in order to function and survive. It's survival. And, and so... It's hard on some level because we have so intently learned to not feel certain feelings. You know, to me, ego is the sense of what we perceive ourselves to be uh, based on our conditioning. And the job of the ego, which is what we perceive ourselves to be, the job of the ego is to reinforce its existence, but also to protect us from getting hurt to protect us from getting hurt and not feeling how we felt back then. And so sometimes the reason it's so hard to just allow ourselves to feel certain feelings and and deal with certain feelings and aspects of ourselves is because that self-protective mechanism inside is so strong to, to keep us safe so that we don't feel that abandoned again. We don't feel that rejected again. We don't feel that helpless again. And so I think just having the willingness and the courage to create the space in ourselves, in our lives, to <clears throat> acknowledge our pain, acknowledge our feelings, acknowledge those feelings, and and start processing through those feelings so that we can start letting some of them 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 go. You know, I think that's that's just a, a kind of simple place to begin. Also, I would say one of the places maybe people can start 
which again takes a bit of courage, is, or I would say this way, one of the things that I think keeps us stuck as human beings are all the ways that we lie to ourselves in so many ways because of our conditioning and self-protection we are constantly whether we're conscious or whether we're not lying to ourselves about who we are about what we feel about what we want about our truth we stay in relationships that we know are not aligned we work jobs that we know are not aligned we betray ourselves to get love validation and approval from others in our lives you know and so I, I really think just that willingness to to just begin asking oneself the question, what lies am I telling myself? What lies am I telling myself? To me, there is no transformation without truth. And I think to truly transform, we have to be willing to start telling ourselves the truth about who we are and what we feel and what we want and about what's really going on within ourselves. And so what lies am I telling myself? And I think sometimes it can be really scary to tell ourselves the truth because we're afraid of the consequences. For me, I was afraid of the consequence of if I actually tell the truth to myself about what I feel, what's really going on inside, I'm going to be alone. I'm going to lose my father. I'm going to lose everything. And then what? And that was so terrifying that for me, it was four years of back and forth and rationalization and justification and denial and suppression and not dealing. And so when we don't tell the truth to ourselves, it's painful. And so one thing I just maybe would encourage people is take the pressure off of yourself of having to take any action. I think sometimes the fear of the consequence of taking of, of what will happen if we tell the truth and we take action on it, the fear of that consequence can uh, trigger a deep self-protective mechanism when we start sometimes getting confused and we play this game of like, I don't know, I'm not sure, I'm confused. When I think many in many times deep down, we have a sense of what we feel. We have a sense of the truth. We, we, we do know. Um, but if we kind of stay stuck in the fog of confusion, then we don't have to actually do anything about it. And so if you can take the pressure off of yourself of having to take action, and just start with acknowledging the truth without having to do anything about it. Acknowledging the truth might mean I'm no longer in love with my spouse, with my partner. You don't have to leave. You don't have to divorce. But just acknowledging that truth and see, I think that begins a process of, of exploration and feeling inside that moves you towards some healing and resolution. Or it just might mean acknowledging, you know, I, I hate my job. I hate my job. And, and you don't have to leave. But just feeling what that feels like can begin a, an internal exploration. And so I think when we lie to ourselves, whether we're conscious or not that we're lying to ourselves, it is painful. It's meant to be painful. To me, the pain is really a signal that we are not in alignment. The pain is simply a signal that we're not living some truth inside. The pain is feedback. The pain is a blessing. The pain is a friend. Yet in our culture, I think one mistake we make, and we've been conditioned, again, out of self-protection, out of survival, is we distract ourselves from the pain. We drink it away, work it away, social media it away, smoke it away, shop it away. And that just keeps us stuck. And so I think if we're willing to just acknowledge the pain and use the pain as a guideposts as a feedback mechanism to get in touch with a deeper truth, then I think things can also begin shift, shifting 
And, and so to me, truth and telling oneself the truth, I, I, I always say, look, happiness is quite simple. It's not necessarily easy because of our conditioning, but I think it's simple. Um, acknowledge the truth, accept the truth, speak the truth, feel the truth, live the truth, happy life. But because of our patterns of conditioning, I think uh, things get a bit complicated. And so I think tr- telling ourselves the truth is a profound place that people can also begin. I love that. Thank you. And and it's a courageous place to to live from. And it's really profound that you, at such a young age, had that self-awareness and that courage, knowing, you know, like you're saying, like the the um the feeling within must have been like I'm just gonna throw a bomb on my life if I act on uh-huh. this truth that's within <clears throat> me. So the courage to be able to do that and at such a young age, I feel like for many people to get to that living of their truth, you know, usually it's something that comes more with age, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so, or, or, or I think with pain. Yes. You know, I think when we don't tell ourselves the truth, it leads to emotional pain. Mm-hmm. Like, like we, if in not dealing with it, you will have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And, and you might have to deal with it in the form of low energy, lack of inspiration, depression. This is, this is pain. And so mm-hmm. now you get to deal with that every single day of your life, even though you're not dealing with it, you're dealing with it in the form of, oh, I'm so depressed every day. Like, that's dealing with it. And that's not easy either, right? If we really look at it directly. Um, I, I think when we don't acknowledge the truth within ourselves too, uh, it can lead to physical pain. It, it might lead to a short-term physical pain, like the, 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 your unconscious starts manifesting in your body, trying to communicate to you in some way, a backache, a shoulder ache, a neckache. I mean, God forbid, an, a, a, a more serious physical disease where again your body is starts screaming to you hey pay attention because we're not paying attention and so you will have to deal with it likely at some point you know whether it's daily or just facing it head on you know right. and so and so to me there's no way to not deal with it it just depends how you want to deal with it and and so um I think it takes a lot of courage to be who you are in a world that is constantly conditioning you to be someone else. Mm-hmm. But I think at the end of our lives, we will have to face ourselves. At the end of our lives, if death came, I think we have to ask, would I be at peace? If death came right now, would I be at peace? And if not, why not? And I think there's nothing as painful as being at the moment of death and being f- being filled with mountains of regret. Yeah. And so I think if, if, if someone's having a hard time, I would say meditate on your death, feel your death, meditate on your death, hold it close. Because many times we live like we have forever. Oh, I'll, I'll change it in five years. Oh, I'll, I'll I'll get there. I'll deal with it. But the truth is, none of us know when that moment's going to come. 
And so I would say really meditate on your death, not as like a morbid thing, you know, but, but just meditate on your death, hold it close because Jesus died, Buddha died, Mother Teresa died, Mandela died, Martin Luther King died, Bruce Lee died, Muhammad Ali died. You and I, We're all going to die. It's going to happen at some point. So the question isn't if, it's about when. And the people that died, let's say, in a disaster or COVID or a tsunami or 9-11, they had no idea that they were necessarily going to die that day, that month, that week, that minute. And it's coming. And and so I, I would just invite people to sit with and meditate on your death. Feel it. Feel it as a reality. Feel it as a part of life. There is no life without death. And so if death came right now, would you be ready? And if not, why not? What's unsaid? What's unexpressed? What's ungiven? What regrets would you have? Because if we die and we meet our maker, whatever you might believe, you can't go to God and say, hey, God, can I can I get a refund on those five years <laughs> yeah. that I wasted right. in that relationship? Can I get a refund on those two years I wasted in that job I freaking hated? Mm. It's gone. It's done. And so I think there's nothing more painful than living a life full of regret. And there's nothing more painful than getting to the end of one's life full of regret. Right? I should have and I wish I had. And, you know, we all hear this, but very few of us actually live in such a way and take the action in such a way that we can say, yes, I have no regrets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very powerful. Yeah. You know, as you're speaking about our conditioning, I'm and with your unique, um, you know, global citizenry, you know, how you have the the kind of international parents and you've got the the international experience um i myself also have some international you know i've i've lived in in different places and the cultural conditioning i'm curious about your experience in terms of the conditioning that just comes from being in the environment that you're in so what you've talked about kind of the families that were born in but have you found that as you're working with global clients that there are any unique um particular things that pop up um not about specific cultures but but maybe there are some specific hurdles that, um, you know, you may see in Americans, you know, Americans, for example, tend to be um, quite independent, you know, we we really value our independence. And sometimes that can have um, a lack of connection or, yeah, or I, I think I think, you know, every culture has their conditioning. Mm-hmm. And every culture has the culture. And I think in every culture, there are beautiful things about the culture in its essence. And I think if we are able to take the beauty from every culture and integrate that, because I don't think any culture has all the answers, mm-hmm. you know, like like for, for the longest time, um, growing up in the London and growing up in America, and basically... I, you could say maybe I'm more culturally on a personality level, more American than anything. Mm-hmm. And and uh, when I started to go to India a lot, 
Um, I've been to India 35, 36 times. Wow. And, and uh, I would spend time with families in India. I'd spend time with some of the poorest families. I'd spend time in the slums. And, you know, I remember spending time one day with a friend of mine. He was a shopkeeper, and I would see him every year, and I would hang out with him for days in his shop, just sitting and talking about life. We became friends, family. He'd take me to his house. And he was working in his shop, and he would tell me how he couldn't just do what he wanted to do. It wasn't like I make money, I go on vacation, I make money, I take care of my family, I make money, I buy a car, I make money, I I buy my clothes. I make money and I give some of that back to my family. I make money and I take care of my father. I make money and I give it to my parents, some of it. I make money and, and I thought it, at first it was such a foreign concept because the truth is I make money and I do whatever the hell I want with my life. All I have to think about is me, myself, and I. And it was interesting in going back and spending time with him really touched me and I began to see how selfish I was because all I was thinking was myself and my life and my you know my goals and my ideal scenes and my manifestations and here this guy was thinking about taking care of his family taking care of his father his father lived with him and he wouldn't dream of putting his father in a home or leaving his father and it was such a foreign concept but you know with time, I really began to appreciate the the care and the the cultural understanding and the the beauty of responsibility for something more than just yourself. Because often in our culture today in America, it's like, what do my parents have to give me? They haven't given me anything. And we go to our parents to like loan us money and give us money. And, and in India, it was like, no, I want to give my parents money and take care of them. And so for me, that was a huge paradigm shift. And it really blessed me and it shifted me and it, it inspired me to want to be a better son. I realized I wasn't a good son. I realized I wasn't showing up as a good son. And it inspired me to want to be and take on the, I don't know what the word is, take on that role in a healthy way of being a good son who took care of my mother, who took care of my father, who took care of family. And it matured me in a certain way. Now, in that culture, let's say in India, there might be a bit of a downside to it because you know <laughs> there might be such an over-responsibility for family that there's no freedom to have some individuality and everyone is stuck together and living together all the time. And so there's pros and cons to both. But I think um, as a humanity, we can learn from each other's cultures, you know, and embrace the beauty of each other's cultures. Because I think living just for oneself and just for one's goals is an empty and shallow way just for one's immediate you know, family is also limited, mm -hmm. but also in certain cultures like Africa and India, like people, you know, take care of each other. They take care of the tribe. They take care of the community. So you're living more than just for just yourself. And 
you don't just have yourself to answer to, you get to answer to the community. And I think now, shit, in my 20s, there were some things I did, some stuff I bought, some stupid decisions I made that if I had a tribe that I had to answer to, I probably wouldn't have made some of those purchases. (laughs) I probably wouldn't have bought some of those cars. I probably wouldn't have done some of the stupid things I did. And and so I think we have to really uh, learn from each other's cultures Mm -hmm. and unite the cultures together. And there's beauty in the West and there's beauty in the East. And I think we have to integrate together. Otherwise, you know, otherwise we're like a bird with one wing. And I think you could say the East, certain cultures have one, so other cultures have another, but both come together. And I think that that's the beauty, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's a, that's a beautiful lesson. Absolutely. So this has just been, been beautiful and fulfilling. How can people connect more with you and your work and uh, continue to be inspired by you? Yeah. Thank you. Um, Let's see. Uh, people can get my book, The Magic of Surrender, uh, on paperback. Go to Amazon, get the book. Uh, the Magic of Surrender, Finding the Courage to Let Go, is a deep dive into the topic of surrender and how to live it in every area of your life. I believe that surrender is the most powerful thing that we can do as human beings. If you look at the great ones, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Muhammad Ali, the folks I'd mentioned, Bruce Lee, Gandhi, they all surrendered in some way. And so the book is a, a is a roadmap to living surrender in every area. It's on Amazon. Um, my main website, Coot Blackson, K-U-T-E-B-L-A-C-K-S-O-N, CootBlackson.com. Uh, people can find out about my work. If people are inspired by something they heard today, twice a year, I do an event in Bali. 2023 is my last year doing this particular event in Bali. It's a 12-day experiential immersion seminar training without walls for those that feel a calling to impact the world in some way. Um, It's called Boundless Bliss, uh, www.boundlessblissbali.com. People can find out more there and apply. Let's see my Instagram, Coop Blackson, Facebook, Coop Blackson, my podcast, Soul Talk. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Coot. I have really enjoyed getting to know you today. And um, I look forward to maybe talking to you another time. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'd love for you to do me one quick favor, which is to think of one person who would benefit from hearing this content. Let them know you're thinking of them by sharing this episode with them right now. Thank you, and I look forward to the next meditation conversation.